Hey there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So thank you so much for joining me again. This is part two of the Frederick Douglass series. In part one, we followed Frederick's journey from an enslaved child who was carted from plantation to plantation to a renowned orator and statesman who spent his days educating the public on his experiences in order to abolish the very system that held him captive for so many years. Yes, that was a mouthful. Um, Where we left off exactly was that Frederick had begun working for two abolitionist organizations called the American Anti-Slavery Society, as well as the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society. Frederick was engaged in a tense debate with his comrades, challenging their call for violence with the need for nonviolence and furthering their agenda, again voicing his opinion to much opposition within his camp. But if anyone was familiar with going against the grain, it was Frederick Douglass. During this time period, while Frederick traveled and spoke about his life, he began to realize that his audience doubted the authenticity of his stories. Although Frederick had indeed been enslaved, people would point out how articulate and educated he was, highlighting his otherworldly public speaking skills, saying that someone who was enslaved would never be able to speak in such a way. These characteristics were presented as evidence that Frederick could have never lived the life he'd claimed. With that in mind, Frederick began important work. Just a few years after his great debate at the National Convention of Colored Citizens in Buffalo, New York, Frederick would publish his first autobiography. Frederick's autobiography, titled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written by himself, was published in 1845. This book was revolutionary and groundbreaking for several reasons, the biggest one being that Frederick wrote it himself. It also served as a way of providing concrete and tangible evidence of Frederick's previous years in enslavement, further legitimizing his cause and his background. Frederick also published this book with full knowledge that he would be exposing himself to the possibility of being recaptured by his previous owner. Because keep in mind, at this time, Frederick was uh, a fugitive slave in quotation marks at this point. With all this in mind, Frederick still went ahead and published his autobiography as he believed there was more strength to be shared in the message. Frederick would go on to publish two more autobiographies later on in life. Audiences everywhere, from America to overseas, were enraptured with Frederick's book. The book's international success encouraged Frederick to take his lecture campaign across the pond. Right after his book was published, Frederick would spend a few years traveling around the UK, giving his amazing speeches and lectures. Eventually, Frederick was able to garner enough attention and support that a public campaign to secure his freedom was created in the UK. This campaign was successful, and Frederick was legally granted freedom from his previous owner, who still pursued Frederick ruthlessly, especially after his growing successes. With his freedom and international fame in tow, Frederick would travel back to America in 1847. During his travels, Frederick was able to acquire financial support from those who believed in him and his noble causes. Frederick returned home, 
truly free and immediately began work on yet another ambitious project. And what project was that, you may wonder? Frederick was going to create and publish his own newspaper. With this goal in mind, Frederick created the North Star. The North Star's first issue was published on December 3rd, 1847. The North Star was a great success and ran strong with excellent readership until 1851. It was at this time that Frederick decided to combine his paper with another famous anti-slavery publication in the area called the Library Party Paper to ultimately form Frederick Douglass's paper. Yes, you heard that correctly. The newly formed newspaper was called, quite simply, Frederick Douglass's Paper. This alone demonstrates just how much brand recognition Frederick had cultivated in this time that he was able to garner readers with a self-named newspaper. Frederick Douglass's paper was published until around 1860 in tandem with another paper Frederick was writing titled The Douglass's Monthly. Around this time, Frederick was living in the area of Rochester, New York. This area fostered a thriving abolitionist community. As such, Frederick was exposed to differing opinions and strategies for eradicating slavery that more so resonated with his own ideals. Again, in spite of the terrible violence that was perpetrated against Frederick, he did not believe in using violence as a means of securing freedom. Frederick firmly believed a nonviolent course of action would be the answer, and this principle underscored all of his beliefs. Previously, with other abolitionist groups, Frederick supported the main core beliefs of these groups, that the Constitution was not to be considered a valid legal document as it supported the system of slavery. These anti-slavery groups also believed that participation in any American politics would be supporting the establishment of slavery and thus abstain from any and all political involvement. After Frederick was exposed to anti-slavery groups that advocated for abolitionists to become involved in politics, everything changed. Frederick realized that this path more so mirrored his own beliefs and he began to share his opinions that encouraged political action and intentional involvement. This marked the start of an extraordinary period for Frederick. Frederick had already begun his rise in American politics, and most importantly, helped to further the goal of abolishing slavery on a global scale. While living in Rochester, Frederick's home was used as a stop on the Underground Railroad. Consequently, Frederick was able to network and meet many abolitionists during this time period. As such, later on in 1859, Frederick would travel down to Pennsylvania to meet with the great John Brown himself. While visiting, John informed Frederick of his desire to raid a federal fort in West Virginia, an endeavor in which he'd asked Frederick to assist and participate in. Yes, yet again, the timelines collide. Like, this is incredible. I can't, this is incredible. I'm sorry for just destroying your ears right then. This is incredible. John Brown and Frederick Douglass literally, like, spoke, hung out, like, chilled. History is so cool. I literally can't get over the fact that these extraordinary people existed in the same time period. It's just so amazing to me. John explained his inspiration behind the raid to Frederick 
citing that slavery was an abomination and he'd hoped the raid would inspire others to rise up in similar fashion. After learning that the basis of John's raid would be predicated on violence, Frederick politely declined the offer to participate. Every person who participated in the raid on Harper's Ferry was captured and executed. Although Frederick did not participate in the raid, he was pinned as an accomplice. Frederick was required to flee the country, stopping in Canada before eventually making it to Europe, where he was hosting a lecture tour. Sadly, Frederick's European tour was cut short due to a family tragedy, as his daughter suddenly passed away. Upon his return to America, Frederick was thrust upon a country in turmoil. The Civil War was in full swing, and Frederick jumped right into the fray. Frederick was one of the biggest and earliest supporters of allowing African-American soldiers to serve for the Union, even becoming a recruiter himself. Now for another absolutely mind-blowing event in Frederick's life. Frederick was able to secure a meeting with President Abraham Lincoln, specifically to petition him to help with providing improved conditions and pay for those in the service. Frederick first met with the president in 1863, and after their first meeting, was promptly invited back to discuss additional political strategy. Frederick met with President Lincoln a total of three times, twice in which the president personally invited him back to speak with him about political and war policy. The outcome of the Civil War is, of course, that the Union won and the Emancipation Proclamation was created. African Americans were freed from slavery, but still had much work to do to establish themselves in a society that did not want to welcome them. Frederick worked in various ways to help extend civil rights to newly freed African Americans. In particular, Frederick supported several amendments further protecting and establish African Americans, such as suffrage and instituting the 14th Amendment. To put it simply, Frederick was an advocate for human rights. It is not well known, I don't think, that Frederick attended the 1848 Women's Rights Convention in New York and was coined a women's rights advocate. Frederick truly believed in the concept that African Americans should come together in political matters as there was strength in numbers. Due to the extreme racism and violence being perpetrated against African Americans in Southern states, Frederick also supported African Americans moving to Northern areas, where they were at the very least tolerated, though not wholly accepted as equals. In 1872, Frederick would make his big move to Washington, D.C. This is also where Frederick would establish his final newspaper titled New National Era. Unfortunately, unlike his previous newspapers, this one would collapse due to mismanagement just a couple years after it was published. Not to be confused, though, Frederick had many other projects going on at the same time. In 1874, Frederick was named the president of Freedmen Savings and Trust. Sadly, this too would collapse due to poor management within the bank that Frederick was not made aware of until much later. The ramifications from the failed bank position did more to hurt Frederick's reputation than anything, something that he'd worked hard to build in the D.C. political network. Frederick was able to successfully repair his reputation in D.C., going on to receive multiple positions in government. Starting in 1877, Frederick was appointed as the first African-American U.S. Marshal by President Rutherford Hayes. 
He was then appointed to the position of Recorder of Deeds for the District of Columbia in 1881 by President James Garfield. Frederick was also appointed as the U.S. Minister Resident and Consul General for Haiti in 1889 by President Ben Harrison. If you've been keeping track, that is four separate U.S. presidents who were confident enough to strategize with and appoint Frederick to high positions in their government. This was a feat of feats for any common man, but was living the impossible dream for an African-American man in that time period. In his final position working as Consul General of Haiti, Frederick disagreed with America's decision to acquire a port in Haiti and convert it to a military station. In 1891, this division and course of action caused Frederick to have to resign from the position as he truly did not believe in the cause. Frederick would spend the final years of his life in D.C., where he continued to be committed to activism and political justice. Sadly, Frederick's wife passed away on August 4, 1882, from a stroke. Frederick would go on to marry his secretary in an almost unheard-of mood that would put him at odds with his family. This was nothing new to Frederick, and he would not be phased. To speak more on his previously mentioned accolade of being the most photographed man of the 19th century, this was due in large part to his visibility in his community and promoting the image of an educated, intelligent, and established African-American man. Frederick would also be involved in African-American educational institutions in the D.C. area. His most prominent appointment was on the board of trustees at Howard University. Frederick was on the board of trustees with Howard University from 1871 to 1895, interacting with and inspiring other trailblazers such as Ida B. Wells. Hint, hint. Frederick would collaborate with Ida on a few projects, all centered around preserving and furthering African-American culture and history. Frederick Douglass passed away on February 20th, 1895, just after his birthday. Frederick's wife then created the Frederick Douglass Memorial and Historical Association to preserve his home and all its contents. Frederick's home in D.C., called Cedar Hill, would be acquired by the National Park Service in 1962. It was then established as the Frederick Douglass National Historic Site in 1988. Fun fact, Black History Month was established in February based on Frederick's birth date of February 14th, which was a guess. To put it plainly, Frederick Douglass was a formidable figure, an activist, an orator, a writer, a human rights advocate, a husband, and a father. Most importantly, Frederick was a man of action. Frederick lived a life that many of us could not even dream of enduring, the suffering. But Frederick didn't endure. Frederick overcame, persevered, and flourished. He went from being denied work on the shipyard to being invited back to the White House. He went from being illiterate to publishing multiple autobiographies, newspapers, and monthly publications. He went from being told he would amount to nothing to be one of the most renowned statesmen of his time. Frederick saw the status quo and thought, I'm going to change this. We can only hope to gain a modicum of the stateliness that was Frederick Douglass. 
You can follow Made of Metal Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. You can also check us out at madeofmetalpodcast.com. If you'd like to support my passion for sharing these stories with you, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com backslash made of metal. You can also follow, subscribe, and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful for all my listeners. I love all the feedback and I love connecting with you here every week. As always, my loves, Bloom where you are planted.